2. <clears throat> Well-known passage of Scripture. When you think of the town of Jericho, what do you think of off the top of your head? The walls of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down. Jericho is reputed to be the oldest continually inhabited city in the world. Don't know if it's true or not, but that's the one of the uh, claims to fame. They call themselves the most, the oldest continually inhabited city in civilization. It's also located on a, it's built around an oasis. Jericho is almost 900 feet below sea level. A little history lesson there for you. Built in a valley. Uh, it's about two miles from the Jordan River. Two miles back in the day was a long ways away, too far without modern mechanical engineering or aqueducts to, to move water that long a distance, impossible. So they had to have another water source. And you read the historical documents, you read documents that describe the, the strength of the city and its economy. Uh, one of the key things that is brought out is that it has a stable, unending source of water. But that wasn't always the case. Even though it was built on an oasis, the water source was not what it needed to be. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. One day the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my Lord. Don't you love it when someone comes to you and says, um, we got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not too long ago, to the, I had the, the, not the exact words, but to that same essence, my wife's like, we've got a problem. What's the problem? The freezer went out. Oh, great. When you hear the word, we got a problem. You see dollar signs, don't you? Like, oh, no, 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 not something else broken. No. At work. When one of my employees comes, we got a problem. Like, oh, no, who's leaving now? Amen. <laughs> Never a good thing when someone says, we have a problem. Do you know what? Of all the things that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous gets wrong, there is one thing they get right. And the first thing you got to do is do what? Admit you have a problem. We have a problem, my Lord. This town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see. But the water is bad. And the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and threw the salt into it. And he said, this is what the Lord says, I have purified this water. So the finger took us right to Psalms 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me 
a right spirit. Purify me, Lord. This is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. Can you say amen? God bless you. Be seated. Another thing to think about, it's not entirely relevant to what I'm bringing to you today, but it's a thought to not everything is as good as what it seems to be when you first look at it. Just because Jericho was built on an oasis doesn't mean that the land was fertile around it. But there are palm trees growing there. The palm trees in that region are estimated to have consumed about 160,000 gallons of water each per year. 160,000 gallons of water. Compared to the average resident of that time, who was estimated to have consumed about 7,000 gallons of water annually. Just because you see a palm tree, you think, oh, everything's great. That's where I want to be. Appearances can be deceiving. The palm tree is not a good thing in and of itself. It's an indicator that there's good around it. But don't get distracted by what the devil puts in front of you and says, oh, look at that. If you go there, that's an oasis. This is exactly what you've been dreaming of. Not necessarily. Once you get there, you need to start establishing, evaluating, is this where I really need to be? All right, so Jericho. We, we think of Jericho as uh, the, the, the city where the walls came tumbling down, and it is the same city. Uh, Jericho is also the city closest to where Elijah was caught up into heaven. The sons of the prophets, the young ministers that served, uh, 50 of them at least, lived in the city of Jericho. These were the ones that when Elijah was caught up in heaven, Elisha comes and uh, crosses the, the, the Jordan with Elijah's coat, remember? He smites the water, says, where's the God of Elijah? And the waters parted just like they had parted for Elijah. Came across the river on dry ground, the sons of the prophets met Elisha on the other side and said, what did they ask him for permission to do? Go look for Elijah. Their words were, the Spirit of the Lord may have caught him up because they saw from a distance that incredible catching away. They said, perhaps the, the Spirit of the Lord caught Elijah up and deposited him on a mountain somewhere. God help us with our ignorance about the ways of God. Do you really think if God sent a chariot of fire down to pick Elijah up, 
and to carry him up into heaven. Do you really think that God's going to lose control of Elijah? Like, oh, hold on, man. No, 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 you're not belted in. Oh, sorry. Boom. Give me a break. <laughs> that may happen to SeaWorld or at Six Flags or Cedar Park. It's not going to happen in God's chariot of fire, my friend. You're not going to fall out of the chariot of fire. Amen. What the sons of the prophets, as they're called, really were doing, they weren't worried about Elijah's body being lost somewhere in the wilderness. They were challenging Elisha's ministry. Maybe, just maybe, we can still have the old prophet. Another story for another day. Amen. So, Elijah is gone. Elisha is now the man. He's the prophet. He asked the Lord for a specific dispensation. What was that that he asked of the Lord? Double portion of Elijah's spirit, the spirit of God on Elijah. Um, now, we, we're not going to get distracted. He did not specifically ask for a doubling of the power that God had given Elijah. He asked for a double portion of his spirit, which was indicative of the, the practice of the firstborn and the inheritance. Remember that if the, uh, the family, the, 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 there were five, and sorry, ladies, but you didn't get inheritance back in those days, just the men. If there were five uh, boys in the family, dad dies, how many ways did they divide his inheritance? Six ways, not five. They were divided into six portions, and the eldest got a double portion. So um, I don't think Elisha was being greedy with God and saying, hey, Lord, I want twice as much of the power of Elijah. He was showing respect. He knew that he had been anointed as the successor to the ministry of Elijah, and in that role, in that position of the, the firstborn, the, the one receiving the inheritance, he said, I want to make sure that I am the one who inherits your ministry, Elijah. I want God to give me the role that you play. I want to be your successor. I want a double portion of your spirit. And yet, interestingly enough, if you start counting the miracles that Elisha worked versus the miracles that Elijah worked, Elisha worked almost exactly twice as many recorded miracles as Elijah. Fun facts. Think about it. Amen. Now here he is. He's staying a few days in the town of Jericho. And the elders of the city, the leaders of the town, came to visit him. I have to wonder sometimes, why didn't they ask Elijah for this miracle? The water didn't just suddenly go bad. And Elijah had been around for quite a while. Why didn't they ask Elijah for this prayer to be answered? I'm not sure. I can come up with some hypotheses. But certainly... Again, there's an element of testing out this new prophet. Is he really going to be the prophet? Is God really going to use him the way he used Elijah? 
I'm sure there's a little bit of debate going on. Like, do you think, really? Uh, guys, if we don't try it out, we'll never know. And I'm here to tell you, friend, that unless you try God out, you're never going to know if he can help you. Now, I know he can. And I know you know he can, at least with our heads. We know that sometimes our hearts go otherwise. You need to trust God. You need to be willing to trust God. Old song that I love so much, if I'd never had a problem, I never would have known that he can solve them. Amen. We have to go through things sometimes to learn to trust God. But to learn to trust God, we have to become a little vulnerable and actually try him out. Prophet, you've got a problem. Are you willing to admit that you have a problem? Hopefully not an AA meeting. Telling you God can deliver you from alcoholism. You don't have to be an ex-alcoholic or a, what do they say? I'm always a recovering alcoholic. God can make you an ex-alcoholic. Amen. He can take away that craving. He can take away that addiction, just like he can take away any addiction whatsoever that's out there. My God can and will deliver you if you trust him. Amen. But beyond that, you have to be, we have to be willing to admit we got a problem. And that's, again, you, you, the Lord led you right to Psalm 51 with a finger. He had no idea that I was going to be here. Amen. In this passage of scripture. <laughs> Wasn't my text, must have been the Lord's text. <laughs> we have to be willing to admit we got a problem. If we're ever going to solve or get something solved in our life, we have to be willing that we need help. Ah, I mentioned to you last week, I think, I had to put one of my employees recently on a performance improvement plan. PIP, a PIP. Dreaded words. This gentleman was not happy when I met with him at HR to deliver the notice that he was being placed on a performance improvement plan. We automatically tend to think that a PIP means they're trying to fire me. Sometimes it is, honestly. But in this case, I don't want to fire this gentleman. I want to see him improve. He's got a tremendous potential to be very productive, a boon for the company. But he can't be at the state he was in. And he had no clue. That's the scary part. He had no clue just how badly he was failing to perform. He was shocked. He thought he was making good improvements. And no, I mean, you did some, that's great. Glad to see you making a few incremental steps, but there's some fundamental things you've got to change if you're going to succeed. But we want you to succeed. Therefore, we're sitting down. I mean, I didn't have to go through a performance improvement plan. I could have terminated the gentleman. 
God doesn't want to send you to hell. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hallelujah. God is not willing to just drop kick you right into hell. He wants you and me to improve. Hallelujah. He wants us to turn our lives around. He wants us to draw close to God as he draws close to us. So he deals with us. He sends Nathan the prophet to tell us we got a problem. Amen. And we have to hear the word of God and we have to be willing to admit we've got a problem. These leaders of the city realized that they had a problem. And again, picture this. It's an oasis. It's in a valley with natural defenses, volcanic walls around them. Um, had it not been for God causing those walls to come down, Israel would not have conquered Jericho. Give me a break. That city, those walls were wide enough for two chariots to drive side by side all the way around the city. These were massive fortifications. The, the, the town of Jericho was known for its army, for its prowess. It had to be God that brought them down. This city was in a great location. It's located on an oasis. There is a spring of water coming out. It's a great place to be. Except that while there's a beautiful spring of water that flows, the water is bad. None of us like to hear that we have a problem. But if we don't hear that, if we don't come to that recognition realization, how can we ever fix the problem? We will not be able to address the need if we don't recognize there's a problem. So if God's dealing with your heart about something, my friend, don't be proud. Don't be arrogant against God. Don't say, Lord, don't stop talking to me. I just don't want to hear that. I think I'm okay. Be willing to say yes. Thank you, Lord, for letting me know got a problem. Because once I know I have a problem, I can start looking for a solution. Until that red light comes on on the dash, you may not know that there's something going on with the car. That's what that light's for. Is that why do you like seeing that light come on? Like, oh no, here we go. Check in. You're like, oh no. Do you know, thank God that there are warning systems built in to alert us to a problem before it gets unfixable. Amen. So while we're not happy with that, it should be a, oh, thank God for that, a warning system to let me know that I've got to look into something. And when the warning lights, lights start blinking in the Holy Ghost, don't ignore the voice of God that is prompting you saying, come on, let's talk about this. You have a problem. Amen. So they come and they say, prophet, we have a problem. They said, look around. It's evident. This city is beautifully situated. Middle of a desert, right on top of the oasis. Natural defenses, again, a lot going for that town. But they recognize that the water that came forth from their primary, if not only, source of water, it was causing barrenness in the land. It was causing infertility. Things weren't growing the way 
they needed to grow. Fruit was not being produced the way fruit should be produced. Now, today we have agriculturists and horticulturists, and I don't know what other ists out there that study plants and study the soil and, and study the insects and study the weather and study all the things that go into crops and, and yields and all this stuff. But back then, they didn't have all that. They knew it was either fertile land or wasn't fertile land. They knew you could fertilize and help it, but they weren't able to chemically analyze either the soil or the water. But they were smart enough to know something wrong with the water. We need to fix the source of the problem. It's interesting that God chose salt to use as a healing method. Now, obviously, salt has antiseptic properties. Salt cannot cure an infection, but it can slow down the spread of an infection. Salt can't keep meat from spoiling, but it can preserve it for quite a long time. It slows down the the, the corruption process, the rotting, the spoilage process. So in that sense, it kind of makes sense, but um, ever had a sore throat and had to gargle with salt water? And ever slipped and swallowed some of that salt water? <gasps> oh, I don't want to think about that because it's not pleasant. Ever been in the ocean, into the beach, and waded out into the water? And take a gulp of that water. How many like salt water to drink? Oh, give me sweet water. Some of you like the different flavored waters. I'll drink a lot of different things, but tell you what, if I'm really, really thirsty, just give me a plain old bottle of water. Am I right? Water satisfies. Water we need water in our bodies. I've heard anywhere from 60 to 94% water. I think it's somewhere around 85. You guys tell me that our body is comprised largely of water. We need water. We become dehydrated. We die. Bottom line, period. Without water, we die. We need water. It is a source of of life, not the only source, but it is absolutely necessary that we have water and it needs to be good water. So the thought of taking salt and mixing it in with water to drink or to water the crops with, you know the elders had to be frozen in their track. No, 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 no. But you've got to learn to trust God. When God said, I've got the answer, don't be like one of my clients that drives us crazy. He's contracted with us to be experts and to do a lot of work for his department, his company. And yet every solution that we bring to the table, he's questioning it. And he's got to dissect it. And he's got to debate it. And he's got to kick it around. And he's got to waste hours of our time. And then he comes around like, okay, yeah, you guys are right. Go ahead. But we do that with God. 
when God says, here's the answer, we let on the Lord, Lord, um, <clears throat> Listen, let's explore a different option, can we, Lord? Can, can we talk about something different, Lord? And the Lord keeps pursuing us, and the Lord in His patience keeps bringing us right back around, my friend. Uh, you still have to repent. You still have to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You still have to receive the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. You still have to be purified of the corruption of the flesh through the power of the blood of Christ and the Spirit of Christ. I die daily, Paul said. I have to crucify my flesh. I've got to put my spirit under subjection to God. I've got to be right with God. And that takes a process where God lets us know we have a problem and God gets us to the solution. Bring me a new bowl. Significance in that too. We'll go into that. Bring the bowl full of salt. Any guess how many times salt is mentioned in the scriptures? About 40 times, maybe 45. Salt is used as a symbol of covenants. The Lord refers at least twice to the kingdom of David, he said, is a covenant of salt that I've established. Speaks of preservation. When you talk about salt as a covenant, it's talking about longevity. Instead of sealing a contract with a handshake or even with a signature, many times they sealed it with salt to indicate longevity. I'm not going to break my word. I'm not going to break my promise. A promise of salt. A covenant of salt. Roman army. How were they paid many times? With salt. Why were they paid with salt? Because they didn't have HEB or Walmart where you can run to uh, the grocery section, the, the condiments, and find rows and rows and rows of salt. Salt was a precious commodity. And no, they didn't use table salt, refined and purified and ground to even consistency. The salt that they used came from, was dug out of, uh, along the Dead Sea, there's a famous salt cliff about seven miles long. They would extract water from salt cliffs, or they would take it where the water evaporated in, in crooks, uh, crevices, nooks and crevices of the rock. They would get the salt residue. It had minerals in it. It, 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 was, it took its flavor from the, 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 the mineral components of the rock sources around it. Salt had a different consistency and it had different flavors depending on where it came from. And my friend, you need the salt that comes from God. You want what has been absorbed of the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's what gives you the flavor that you really need. Salt, Jesus said, you are the light of the world and you are what? Salt of the earth. And he said, if the salt lose what? Its flavor or its saltiness. It's worth nothing. Can salt actually lose its saltiness? No. It's a chemical composition that cannot. It's salt. Can't lose its saltiness. But you can contaminate it. The whole lesson of that, my friend. 
or you can dilute it to where you can no longer taste it. And once you dilute it, it can bind with other chemical things and have a chemical recomposition and essentially lose its flavor. It really hasn't lost its flavor. It's just so weakened now that you can't tell. And friend, you can dilute the Spirit of God in your life with the things of the world to the point that you can't feel God the way you need to feel God. Amen. And you can contaminate the salt to where you can't taste the flavor of the salt. Were you aware that the offerings that Israel brought to God, the grain offerings specifically, had to be mixed with salt? Scripture says in um, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, you shall season all your grain offerings, all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. When's the last time you thought about that? Why did God require salt in a grain offering? I think there are many reasons. But again, salt was a precious commodity. It was hard to come by. It was expensive. It symbolized purity. And it symbolized covenants. God was telling his people, when you bring me your grain offerings, first of all, I want you to remember that I'm pure. Didn't he say, be ye holy even as I am holy? Amen. God wants our offerings to be rooted in the purity of God's holiness, not from our holiness, because we have no holiness. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags in his sight. Amen. But we draw on the holiness of God through the regenerative power of the Spirit of the Lord. God says, when you bring me an offering, I don't want it to just be a grain offering. I want you to invest salt into the offering. I can't tell you how much salt costs because I don't have the conversion table with me. But they actually paid the Roman soldiers with bags of salt sometimes because you could take that salt and barter with it for other goods. You could take that salt and sell it. It was worth a lot of money. How would you feel? Ready for this? Do we have that offering bag anywhere? Already took up the offering, didn't we? Where's the offering bag? We got the offering bag. Is it back there? There we go. Here's an offering bag. All right. We're going to sing a song. Would you agree that a worshiping God is an offering to God? Before you sing the song, put in five bucks. <laughs> Come on. Before we sing a song, five bucks. Come on. Pony up. Come on. Five bucks. 
Oh, wait, we're on song number two. Another five bucks, sir. You're at 10 now. Before we are worship God, before we pray for our needs, um, that's another 10 bucks, sister, please. You'd think I was bonkers, wouldn't you? You'd think I was totally crazy. You probably wouldn't come back. Like, man, that guy's crazy. But that's essentially what God was asking them to do. When you bring your grain offering to God, don't just cut down some grain out of your field, because hopefully you have a lot of that. And while it's valuable, it's not as valuable because you have a lot of it. But when you bring your offering to God, I want you to dig down into your wallet. I want you to know, show God that you're willing to pay the price, uh, that you're willing to invest in the worship of God. Uh, friend, we have Caleb. We have all YouTube. We have all sorts of stuff. You can turn on music all day long, and it just becomes a backdrop. It just becomes white noise. Uh, I'm here to tell you, my friend, worship is supposed to cost us something from our soul. It's supposed to be an investment from our spirit into the throne room of God. Hallelujah. It should cost us something when we worship God. No, we're not going to start taking a offering every time we sing a song. Amen. Because God's really not interested in your wallet. What he's interested in is your soul. He wants you to reach into your spirit. Don't just go through the motions and move your mouth and make sounds come out and call that singing. No, my friend, it needs to come from inside of us. It needs to connect with the spirit of God. It needs to be something that makes the heavens stop and say, listen, woo, I like what's going on in Christian Apostolic Church on a Sunday morning. Hallelujah. I want God to hear and say, that's what I like. Hallelujah. When you bring your offerings, bring salt. Mix it in with your offering. Invest in your relationship with God. Invest in it. And show him that you honor and respect his purity, his holiness. And that salt, if there's infection in your soul, it can help stop the spread of that infection until you let the blood of Jesus Christ take care of it. A lot of reasons to mix salt in with our offerings. And as crazy as it may have seemed, when Elisha said, bring me a bowl of salt. That was like calling the city treasurer. Say, can you write me a $20,000 check before I pray for you? Pretty sure city of San Antonio would say, ah, excuse me, no. But wait. If this is going to solve the problem, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? The woman with the issue of blood, how many years had she struggled with the issue of blood? Is 12 years a long time? If you've been struggling with something for 12 years, aren't you willing 
to do whatever it takes to get past it. Come on, tell me. Amen. This woman with the issue of blood, it says she had tried everything. She'd been to every doctor she could find. She spent all that she had. Nothing helped her. She knew she had a problem. And when Jesus came close to her, she was willing to put a superhuman effort. Don't minimize her effort in her, your mind, folks. Unless you've ever navigated the crush of a crowd. The crush of a crowd can be terrifying under the best of conditions. I've been in the crush of a crowd more than once where I feared for my life. I was too small to really understand at one point. One example, my dad's talked about it. Maybe you recall this years ago. The Concord. Anyone remember the Concord? Come on, don't look at me strange. The Concord. What was the Concord? Matter of hours, right? Supersonic passenger airplane. Flew so fast that the fuselage of the airplane actually would shrink and contract, contract and expand eight inches during flight. Fascinating plane for the time. Iconic, its nose would tip down when it was landing or taking off. Remember that? Seen the pictures of the Concorde? They finally retired it some years back because of mechanical problems. They had crash after crash. They finally retired the Concorde. But in the 70s, it was technological marvel. And when the Concorde flew around the world, masses of people would show up to see the Concorde. And my dad took us to the airport to see the Concorde. We were small. I remember hanging on to his hand for dear life. Because of that airplane began to land, there were so many people that flooded the, the palisade where there's a viewing area on, on uh, one of the terminals with a kind of a glass wall around the top, so it's not safe at all. But um, now, of course, with terrorism, it's all changed. But we could actually walk out on that viewing area and, and look down on the airplanes. It was fascinating for kids. And when the Concorde came, there were tens of thousands of people that tried to rush that viewing area. And we were picked up like flotsam in the ocean. We were picked up by the crowd and carried against our will, hanging on for dear life to our dad's hands. And we were upset, but dad was terrified. He knew that we could literally be crushed to death by the movement of that crowd. I've been in other towns, uh, places where uh, massive demonstrations against the government in Peru, and the, the army was sent out to disperse the, the tens of thousands of people that were protesting. And they would bring in the big water cannons, the trucks with jets of water. They had actual tanks sometimes. They had soldiers with tear gas and with live rounds. And they had they would cause such a disruption to move the crowd out of the squares where they were protesting. And I was caught in one of those crowds uh, trying to get through and do something. Suddenly I was surrounded. And then the violence started. Then the crackdown started. And that crowd went wild. The tear gas and 
around the water cannons and I felt that crush of the crowd. I could barely breathe. I could not move. I prayed, God, help me to get out of here alive. Don't minimize what that little lady did the day that she fought her way through the crowd to find Jesus. She was willing to pay the price to solve She was willing to get on her knees and crawl through the legs of people, scrambling, stepping on her, kicking her, until she could make her way, reach out, touch the hem of his garment. She was willing to pay the price. Her problem was solved just like that. Jesus says, I felt virtue flow from me. Who touched me? Elders of the city, got a problem? I can fix the problem. Not I, but my God. If you're serious about fixing the problem, A, you got to obey. B, you got to pay the price. What do you need, prophet? I need a bowl of salt. I need you to go to your bank and withdraw 10,000 bucks. No, I'm never going to ask you to bring 10,000 bucks <laughs> to get prayed for. God help us. But that's exactly what he asked them to do. Go into your coffers and bring me a bowl. I don't know how big the bowl was. It could have been bowl. Bring me a bowl of value. What are you going to do with it, sir? You'll see. Did Elisha make a big deal out of that bowl of salt? Well, I'm handing a wallet full of cash. No cash in there, but he got an idea. Instead of showing reverence to the source of value, he took the bowl and he emptied it into the spring of water. Kind of like taking that, toss it on the ground, step on it. First of all, my God doesn't need our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He said, if I needed something, you think I'd ask you? Seriously? <laughs> no. I'm not going to ask you. I own everything. So it's not a matter of subsidizing print full of dollars, $65 million jets. Amen. It's not a matter of subsidizing some preacher's lavish lifestyle. All Elisha asked was, Got a problem? Would you like to solve it? If you're serious about it, go bring me something of value. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to pour it into the source of water. That spring of water today bubbles forth about 1,000 gallons of fresh water every hour. It's a powerful spring. Or maybe it's a minute. 
Maybe I ripped that. It's a lot of water pouring out. After all of these thousands of years, that spring is still bubbling forth an abundance of water. But before the day that Elisha was there, and it's still known as Elisha's well, before that moment, while there was abundance of water coming out, it was worthless, it was bitter, it was actually harmful. I'm about to finish, but I want you to listen and take this to heart. If you don't have the sweetness of the Spirit of God in your spirit, not only is it a waste of time, it's actually harmful to you and to those around you. Bitterness of your spirit. And yes, my friend, without the sweetness of God, our spirits get bitter. Just like that. Am I right? Am I right? Scripture says that a root of bitterness springing up will quickly defile men. It doesn't take much bitterness to ruin everything. Ever had a nice, lovely piece of fruit? And then you hit one spot. I don't know. Maybe the worm crawled through. I don't know. But that one bite is bitter. It ruins the whole flavor. Am I right? It sets your teeth on edge. It gets that gritty, dry feeling like, ah, why did I have to have that one spot of bitterness? It ruined everything else. Friend, it doesn't take a lot of bitterness in your soul to defile the sweetness of the presence of God. This city was a beautiful city. It was in a pleasant location. The oasis was gorgeous. They admitted that. They opened with that prophet. You see the city. It's a beautiful place in a beautiful situation. But we have a problem. And our spirit has a problem sometimes. And friend, it doesn't matter how blessed you are. It doesn't matter how successful you look to be. It doesn't matter all of the wins. And I love that song. Oh, I could count my successes like diamonds in my hand. But friend, without the grace of God, it's worthless. Without giving that glory to God, it's worthless. Amen. If that source of water, that bubbling out a thousand gallons a minute, it can be a tremendous. People may look at you and say, oh, they've got it all going for them. But if that water's bitter, if that water is useless, that oasis eventually is going to dry up. And it's going to go. We need some salt. We need some salt today. We need God. Cure the source of our spirits. We need God to help us heal from past wounds. 
We need God to help us go beyond looking the part of a child of God and acting the part of a child of God. There needs to be abundance. There needs to be fruitfulness. Can you look at that oasis? I'm sure there was greenery. There were palm trees. It all looked perfect. But the issue was, the assessment was, the ground is barren. When we piped this water, they had drainage ditches that would run the water to their fields. They said, when this water reaches the fields, it does nothing for us. There are people in churches today looking for an experience with God, and they walk out because the water is barren and empty and worthless. God forbid the Christian apostolic church should ever get to a place, an oasis that looks good, that has a gushing forth of water, but it does nothing for anybody. You need to be able to be changed. Your soul needs to be able to be healed. Your sin needs to be able to be forgiven. Your chains need to be broken. You need to have an experience with God in this place. God desires that. God wants you. Jesus said, he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, from his belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. God wants you to have so much joy, so much power, so much life in the Holy Ghost that it gushes out of you and it blesses others and people feel what God is doing in you more than just seeing. They feel the power of God in your life. Is your soul barren today? Is there a problem that's worrying, eating away at you? Any number of things can begin to cause that source of water to no longer be productive. Contamination. Pollution. When Kevin next preached this message probably 20 years ago about the source of water and how you've got to clean out What's clogging at the rocks and the debris that over time start clogging that source of water? You've got to open up that source so the water can flow freely again. How long has it been since you really had a move of the Holy Ghost in your heart? Oh, we had a tremendous move of God already in this service, did we not? Sweet presence of God in our worship. But I wonder, was your soul contributing to that move? Was your spirit being bringing forth the glory of God? Or were you just feeling empty? If you are, there's a cure. There is a balm in Gilead. Amen. There is a solution to the problem. Bring what God asks you to bring today. It's going to vary from each of us to someone else. It's going to be a little different. Everyone will pray differently. Everyone will offer differently. Everyone will submit differently. But friend, whatever God is prompting your heart right now, I ask you to bring it to his presence in Jesus' name. Pour it into the, 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 the source of water. Pour that soul of yours. Pour the offering that he asked you to bring. Pour it into the pool of water.
say, God, I need my problems solved in Jesus' name. I want to have the sweetness of the Holy Ghost gushing out of my soul again. The altars are open. God bless you in Jesus' name.